Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Matt, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little, I'm a little worried about you. <laughs> yeah, because I have, a, I have a history of illness in December. <laughs> yeah, it's, this is like uh, every year, it seems like you just end up <laughs> in bedridden with some sort of new disease in December. I wouldn't say it's every year. I, it, it, last year, I would say was it was, I can't even call it a major illness, but it was the sickest I've been in a long time where I was sick for a full month. And uh, I think we had to keep doing these podcasts remotely so that uh-huh. you wouldn't get sick because you were having uh, Eliza at the time. Mm-hmm. So you guys didn't want any, any of our germs in there. And my whole family was sick. And as it turns out, my whole family got sick again this December. Um, I, was, I was avoiding it. I avoided like two waves of illness that went through my kids and Aaron, and I was all all proud of my immune system. I was I was attributing it to these Dr. Gregor smoothies that I think I mentioned on this. Yep, I think uh, these awful brown looking, terrible things that they don't taste that bad. I've gotten used to them. They taste like onions and peppers and and tomato juice. So like a Bloody Mary, I guess. <laughs> it's like a Bloody Mary, which is people like. I, I've never actually had a real Bloody Mary. It always kind of seemed gross to me. This is like that, but it's brown and it's all blended up and it's thick and there's no alcohol in it. <laughs> <laughs> is there other tomatoes in it? There's tomato juice in it. Okay. No, it's not added tomato juice. Uh-huh. So anyway, I was thinking that was keeping me healthy and uh, finally I got it. I, and it's not, it hasn't been bad, but uh, poor Erin this year has, she's had the month long thing. Yeah. So it's weird. It's like we, we do a, a fairly good job of not getting sick throughout the year and I'm quite proud of that. Uh, but, but December has killed us and I, I really blame the kids. I mean, it's just, it's just hard to keep keep germs out of the house. Yeah, the kids when they go to that the cesspool of germing, it's called school. <laughs> well, you know, we had this whole big holiday extravaganza planned for this week, but I had to call and cancel the the bartender and cancel the you know all of the yes fireworks right. and Santa and all the all kinds of reindeer. <laughs> right. All yeah, all I know. Yep, yeah, I know. They had already started setting up all the. All, we our whole yard was filled with fake snow, and it was a whole mm-hmm. Christmas scene that. We had to take down because I got sick. I know you didn't even want me. You didn't even want me near your house. That's how sick. That's how <laughs> I didn't bad your uh, your house was. I know. So we uh, we we wanted to do the episode this time. We figured we would before I go away to Spain, and we still will do it before I go away to Spain, assuming that I am I am well in a week, which I think I will be, um, because I'm almost almost well now. But with the holiday thing, we wanted to have fun. We may want to crack a beer during it. I don't don't know for sure if we will or not, but. Um, didn't want to do that in my current state. So what we're doing is a little rewind episode uh, with Jason Robel, and then next week we will do our holiday extravaganza blowout episode. Sounds great. Good. So Jason Robel, um, yeah, I mean, so this, when I interviewed him, I guess this was maybe a, a year and a month or two ago, Doug, does that sound about right? It was, uh, yeah, about 60 episodes ago, so. <laughs> there you go. So a year and year and eight weeks. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know him. I knew. I knew that he was the host of this TV show on the Cooking Channel. Uh, had been the host of this TV show uh, called How to Live to a Hundred, which is not related to Blue Zones. It it is it is about food that will keep you healthy, but it's not not the same idea. Even though Blue Zones is exactly about that, <laughs> studying the populations that have the most people who live to be a hundred. Um, but anyway, so I knew that about Jason. But shortly after that, I went and met him at. Remedy Food Atlanta. I guess not that shortly after. Yeah, it was shortly after that. So it was a few weeks later, and then and he and I cooked uh, 
on the same team there in the, in the little end of the event uh, cooking contest. So that was fun. I was sort of his sous chef. Uh, so that was very cool. And we won and we dominated and we yeah, beat. Yeah, you guys kicked, kicked butt, right? We kicked the butt of, uh, of former NFL player David Carter and uh, Brenda Davis, who are both very nice people, but it was still fun to win. <laughs> and then uh, and then this past remedy in Hilton Head, we got broken up. We were on separate teams, pitted head to head, and uh, Jason and I, we each uh, our teams each won one dish of the two dish event. So it was a it was a dead heat. Did but, y'all did y'all talk about did y'all reminisce on how what a good team you were? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There was all that, and then it turned into smack talk, and it was it uh-huh. was a it was a whole thing. So, okay. all right. So it was fun, uh, but I, I have since you know since the point is since we recorded this episode, I have uh, I have shared several meals with Jason and cooked several meals with Jason, and we are friends now. So, uh, and he's been involved in our bundle sale now for for two times, I believe. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I was uh, you know I was listening to to this episode in preparation for our little recording here and and to get it ready for the rewind and um and you seem a little nervous going into you're like I, you know this is kind of a a goal of mine to talk to a celebrity chef here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. So that, that'll make two episodes in a row, at least that we're airing, uh-huh. uh, in which I have been a nervous interviewer. There you go. But uh, that's, <laughs> I guess that's, that's good, right? If, if it wasn't nervous, nerve, nerve wracking, then, then it wouldn't be any fun. Then it'd be too easy. Does it, uh, does it, I, you know, I'm not sure, will it take you a few minutes to get into it like, uh, like Tim Ferriss? Take a while to get, get my feet under me? Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I honestly don't remember if it does or not, but uh, I do remember liking this interview and I remember being quite inspired by the end of it to get more into cooking. Right. And, you know, I, this year was a weird one for me. I, cause we're approaching the end of the year, it's time to reflect. Uh, I, I feel like I had a lot, I didn't make a lot of headway with, a lot of habits. I was very, very busy with work, and it was a it was a very good year. We released the book, started Light Drop, the company that makes compliment. Uh, lots of good things happened, but as far as like personal habits and all that stuff goes, I, I just didn't didn't make that much progress. The one thing I got, I, I'm very proud of myself for doing, is spending a lot of hours cooking. I, I just made, I got really into pasta making, and just really had a great time with that. My daughter and I do it a lot together, and I've gotten many cookbooks like non-vegan cookbooks that i go and try to veganize these old classic recipes and uh i'm quite proud of that so uh, that we we joked last time or maybe it was two times ago about me always hearing hearing the guests and then saying i'm inspired and i'm gonna go do this thing whatever we were talking about um and i don't always follow through on that but i actually did follow through on this one i i got into cooking that's good that's so i'm good. quite I'm proud still of waiting that. for my invitation for dinner but um you know i'm glad to hear that you yeah well one day you'll have that once we're all uh, once we're all feeling better and you've okay. had those before <laughs> I, I, you're right <laughs> many times before yes so anyway um, any other announcements Doug we we have uh, our 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 monthly tribe hangout tonight which That's right the, the yeah. day, not tonight but the day that this goes live it will be the night of that night. that's right speaking into the future we have our monthly hangout which will be a lot of fun it'll be just you and me this time hanging out having a beer eliza just woke up from her nap you can probably hear her crying i swear that like i think that we time these so she hardly ever cries Uh and uh but every it's always on recording when she does Uh, anyway but we're hanging out we are um just gonna get to know you guys so we'll take some questions of course but also just talk about whatever's on everyone's mind and and look forward to to that so if you want to join us on the hangout tonight at 8 p.m eastern then 
go to nomadathlete.com slash tribe and join and uh, you'll get access there. Yes, it is quite a quite a deal. It's one of the best bargains we offer at Nomad Athlete. Great way to support the podcast uh, mm-hmm. and to keep this thing ad free for a little longer. I, I sure hope this works, Doug. We need people to we need people to take action on this. Um, it's true. But these these hangouts are a lot of fun. Yeah. The first one was was a I don't know. It was just a really nice, relaxed, laid back time. And uh, I'm hoping I feel better enough to drink an actual beer this time. Last time I I drank an NA beer. Which was a little little weird. Uh, Uh, So I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm going to be up for it. But if not, then it'll it'll be mulled cider or something. Is mulled does mulled mean alcohol? I actually don't know. I think that just means like warm, like spices. Okay. And yeah, like spice with. Well then, okay. So mulled wine would just be you just warm up wine. Yeah, and spice it. And spice it, right? Yeah. All right. I don't actually know what that means, but (laughs) (laughs) so that's what I think it means. We'll see. We'll find out. Someone will tell us. I'm sure. Okay, um, good. Well, then that uh, that concludes the advertising portion of this <laughs> this show. Matt, you know, before we jump into the interview, which I think we should do very very quickly, mm-hmm. very soon, uh, I think we owe it to everybody to update them on on their your December challenge and my December challenge. <laughs> I was worried you were going to say that, Doug. <laughs> I figured that since you were sick, there might be I've been a little bit of a setback. Yeah, is that true? That is that is very true because I I actually got sick on the first day of the challenge and I haven't done it once. Okay. So a major setback. Well. But you know what? You know what, Doug? When I went into this, I said, I'm not going to be perfectionist about it. Granted, this is very, very far from perfection. But I'm, when I get better, I'm going to start doing it. I'm not letting this stop. I'm not going to say, well, I was sick, so I blew it, so I'm not even going to try. I'm going to actually do it. That was my attitude this time. I said, I'm not going to be able to run every day in Spain, perhaps, but I'm not going to let that prevent me from doing it, which is, a nice, it. Which is a nice shift for me. So I'm, I'm still, still going to make good on that part, at least. I am I am over the moon thrilled to hear that. <laughs> good. I've been using that expression a lot recently. I think it's yeah. a good one. Over the moon. Yeah, yeah it's solid. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, I imagine you've been doing it, right? You have to. I it's have your own been, challenge. Yep. I'm still going. Started day after Thanksgiving, and or I guess on Thanksgiving, and I'm still going. Yeah, feeling really good. There's definitely been a couple two-mile days or around then. But what, you know one thing I've, I've discovered that is different from my first run streak, which was only a one-mile uh, minimum? Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know, I it really does oftentimes when you're tired and you don't feel like running, take at least 15 minutes to get warmed up, right? Mm-hmm. And then you start feeling a lot better. So those first 10 or 15 minutes, you're, mm. you're kind of dragging and you're like, ugh, you know, there's like, I don't really feel like running. And then once you get in the flow, then you start feeling better. What I've noticed this time that I'm requiring 2.018 miles is that by the time I get to that point, I'm oftentimes feeling better, and I'm willing to go a few more miles, even if I was only setting out to just do hmm. two miles. Right. So That's you don't. So, so someone who gets into this, they may they may end up doing more. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I've definitely I've definitely gone longer. You know, when I when I had only intended to go the minimum. Uh huh. And you're saying that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Not a not a reason to to look watch out. No, no, no that's a good thing. <laughs> Although, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm sure, like in the. You got to be smart about it, of course. No, because I mean, because you you could also argue that that is this is the worst possible distance you can run because you you just get to the you just get through the terrible part and then you're ready to have fun and then then you're done. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> also I, true. But you, I guess you the, could argue that. Yeah, but the the positive way would be to keep keep running and get that get that runner's high. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Good. All right. Well, then, uh, I if I hope I hope the loyal listeners are happy with that that bit of bit of chatter we've done. And uh, let's get to our our rewind episode. Let's do it. All right. 
Hey everyone, Matt Fraser here with Jason Robel, host of the Cooking Channel TV show How to Live to 100 and the brand new book Eternity, uh, the subtitle of which is really long, right Jason? It is. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I realized I didn't have it right in front of me, so I don't actually know it. Um, but if you, can, if you have it memorized, you can, you can let us know what it is. I definitely have it memorized. It's uh, Eternity, more than 150 deliciously easy vegan recipes for a long, healthy, satisfied, and joyful life. There you go. Yeah, I like it. Um, I actually didn't know that this was your thing. I, mean, I knew you were a TV host. I knew you were a cookbook author, but I didn't realize before um, I saw this that, that like it's not just about vegan food. You're not about vegan junk food or anything like that, which is unfortunately kind of, or, or fortunately, I don't know, all the rage these days. Um, so I think it's really cool that you're into, into the health stuff and the, the live to be a hundred thing. I, I myself am a blue zones fan and, uh, that, that, uh, you know, same, same message is, is there too. So I am excited to talk to you. Uh, thank you for, for joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's really great to finally connect. Uh, you know, we've been following each other for a while on social media and, uh, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be here. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is going to be fun. I'm particularly excited because I have never talked on this podcast and probably not any other time to uh like a tv cook chef i just it's uh and that's for me is something that that has always been uh i don't know like like a fascination of mine or something that i wished i could do in another life um and in fact before i started no meat athlete when i was i was in grad school doing applied math and i was very bored by the whole thing Uh, i just and i watched cooking shows all the time and this is before i was vegetarian or vegan and that was like what I just wished I could do instead. I was like, man, I picked the wrong thing. I should have should have been working on this for the past ten years instead of all this <laughs> math. Um, so it's what I wanted to do. So I, I'm really excited to talk to you just about how you got into it, and then and then much more in your new book and and lots of other fun things too. So um, I'm curious how how did you get into it? it? From what I understand, it doesn't seem like you got into it by saying, hey, I want to be a TV chef. It sounds like you kind of uh, I, I don't know went about it more seriously than that, perhaps. Well, I, I kind of took a lot of divergent paths to get there, if I'm honest about it. Um, I, I've had many, many different uh, careers and, and, and you know, arcs to what I've been doing professionally in my life. So you know, when I was in college uh, in Chicago, I originally went on a film scholarship. I was a student filmmaker, um, got into acting, and the acting thing eventually, after many years, led me to Los Angeles. And I was out here. Uh, I had been vegan already for about, gosh, nine years at that point. Um, and the acting thing was not really paying the bills. It was like, I'm out here, I'm hustling, I'm auditioning, trying to make ends meet. But I had always been pretty good as a chef. Uh, but I thought to myself, you know what, what if I, what if I really applied a lot of the on-camera experience, a lot of the stage experience, and really you know, combined my two worlds? So I went to culinary school up in Northern California. That was 11 years ago in 2005. And I came out, and it took me a few years of of kind of you know hustling around in kitchens and and getting you know the dirty work done. I had a catering business here in LA that was doing really well, but I always wanted to be back in front of the camera, be back on a stage. And right around 2009, I started my YouTube channel, got serious about social media. I started doing more live speaking appearances, and, and this natural hybrid was born of taking the performing experience with the vegan food and the culinary training and, and creating this monster, if you will, uh-huh. uh, that has served me really well. You know, it's been a wonderful journey to um, present this in a fun and engaging and educational way and not take it too seriously. Yeah, that's that's cool. And I guess I guess a very uh, modern approach to to 
getting a, a cooking show, TV show, right? Because I mean, when I was doing this or, or looking at this and saying, "Hey, that'd be really cool," uh, this was that was two thousand seven, eight or so, and mm-hmm. that it didn't really occur to me that 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 was the thing that you could actually just kind of go the social media route. That you don't necessarily need to become, and I don't. You might be this anyway, but you don't need to become an award-winning, super famous chef first and then and then start the entertainment part of it it's actually you can kind of like you did combine it all in once and like say this is the goal is to make this into a into a package that's entertaining yeah and and uh, that's the power of social media now is you you can be huge on youtube and instagram and pinterest and every other platform and you know your pedigree your following on social definitely gets the attention of you know your traditional tv networks and and that's really what happened with me is um there was a production company that found me and said, hey, we want to develop a, a vegan cooking show and pitch it. And originally, I don't talk about this a lot, but originally Discovery Channel wanted to do a cooking show. And their whole, their whole concept for the cooking show was um, a show that doesn't use animals, right? It's, it's like, okay, cool. Um, Animal Planet had interest. And finally, the last pitch was Food Network. And Food Network had an interesting response. They were like, you know, we've always wanted to do for years uh, a vegan cooking show, but we never really found the right talent. And so we had a sizzle reel, and we put together a whole season's worth of concepts and, and treatments, and we pitched it, and they greenlit the series. And so we shot the season one in 2013 and 2014, and it was the first primetime vegan cooking series in, in traditional TV history. It was a huge moment, huge hmm. moment. Wow. Really cool. I didn't realize it had been on the Food Network first, and then not then Cooking Channel. Well, Food Network owns Cooking Channel. Okay. So Food Network, being like the parent company, actually greenlit it for Cooking Channel. Gotcha. So the way it's structured is like, um, if you think about it in terms of sports, right? So um, you've got the major leagues, and you've got kind of the farm team, the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. And so Cooking Channel is kind of like their farm team. If you really crush it on the Cooking Channel, then they bump you up to Food Network. Okay, got it. So are you in Single A or Triple A now? Uh, I never, I never made it past uh, single A. We had what we had one season. It's still on the air, but we we didn't get greenlit for a second season. The ratings weren't high enough. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool. But so I was going to ask that. So the very first uh, a vegan mainstream show. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, there there had been others on um like PBS. Mm-hmm. Uh, there had actually been several. Uh, one, the Jazzy veg- Vegetarian. I think she's going on season four or five right now. Okay. Uh, but in terms of like a mainstream primetime cable network series, it was the very first one. Wow, really cool. Yeah. So does that have anything to do? I mean, I'm sure this all went into it. The title, How to Live to Be 100, you know, obviously doesn't say vegan or anything like that. It, that, that was on purpose, I would imagine, right? I mean, they're not going to just say, hey, here's the vegan cooking show, that it was more of a let's make a show about health and, and it happens to be vegan. Exactly. That was the whole concept because we, we were definitely shooting for capturing as many mainstream viewers as possible. You know, I, I already knew that the vegans and vegetarians were going to tune in. Like right. that was a given. Like as soon as I put it out on social media, people were freaking like, oh my God. <laughs> so we knew we didn't have to appeal to the vegans because they, they were already in. They bought in. Yeah. Um, it was really like thinking about my family um, back in Detroit, Michigan, you know, the Midwest. Like okay, if we talk about health and longevity and healing the body and feeling more energetic and feeling more vibrant, that seems to be the way to hook people. And, and you know, hopefully the ethics and the compassion and the environmentalism comes along with it. But I think for the mainstream, really the health-driven message of veganism, I, I truly feel is still the most powerful way to hook them. Oh, yeah, which is why Forks Over Knives is so much more popular than Earthlings. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, Bingo. it's you know, I, Earthlings is what did it for me, but for most people, it's, it's Forks Over Knives. That's how, you, that's how you 
get get our get our hooks in them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so then is the is the whole longevity live vibrantly thing like was that part of the just part of a strategy or, or was that always your thing and and it just it just so happened that it worked really well um you know as a as a better as as a way to try to try to reach people who who might not otherwise be willing to to talk about vegan stuff yeah i think for me it's always been a part of my strategy to one degree or another uh, you know i started the the vegan lifestyle in um, the mid to late nineties because my grandfather had passed away from cancer and other people in my family were getting really sick. And, you know, the prevailing attitude was like, Oh, well, that's just what happens. You get old, you get a disease and you die. And to me, there was just something flawed about that logic. And to me, I thought, okay, if, if I can research this and I, w- I was, you know, voracious with my research when I had first adopted a vegetarian, and then a vegan lifestyle, because I didn't want it to be, um, a, it wasn't a trend for me. It wasn't a fad. I wanted it to be a lifelong thing. So, you know, health and nutrition originally for me was the guiding force. But through that, you know, really, as I mentioned, the ethical component of compassion toward animals um, and the environmental aspects also created sort of these, this triple motivation for me to choose a vegan lifestyle. But the longevity aspect in particular, you know, you mentioned the blue zones. You know, as you do this research and you find out what these people are doing around the world, uh, to live, you know, to, to 100 and beyond, you see a lot of commonalities, whether it's Okinawa or it's Sardinia or it's Loma Linda, whatever the, the blue zones are, you know, you're seeing like highly mineralized diets, uh, extreme nutrient density, uh, caloric restriction. So they're eating smaller portion sizes with, with a higher density of nutrients. Um, and the majority of their diets are plant-based. These are not big meat-centric cultures. Yep. So I thought, okay, if we take all of these commonalities, you know, the spirituality, the sense of community, Uh, all of the health benefits of the way they eat, you know, we can transpose their methodologies and their practices to modern society here very easily. So that's always been something I've tried to to push, like, hey, if we just eat clean, eat plant-based, have the community, the spirituality, the meditation, all the aspects, moving our body every day with exercise, we've got a really good shot at living a long, healthy life. Yeah, absolutely. And when when in that whole whole picture, or where in that whole picture, uh, does the raw food fit in? Because it looks like you ha- you've done like that's kind of how you maybe became known is is more as a as a raw food chef. Um, what you know how how that come about for you, and then and then what role does that play into into all this other stuff? Yeah, I did start my career doing doing one hundred percent raw, and I was really and I still am focused on raw. I, I still do very very high raw. I'm not one hundred percent by any means now, but. I do feel that, you know, against we, we talk about nutrient density, we're talking about a higher, higher density of enzymes and minerals and vitamins. And many foods, when they're eaten in their raw state, are more nutritious. There are some, like, you know, tomatoes, for instance, when you cook them, you actually increase the levels of lycopene, which is a um, potent cancer-fighting compound and actually great for the skin. But for the most part, when you take raw fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, grains, and legumes, for the most part in their raw or sprouted state, they're more bioavailable and more nutritious. So just from a perspective of nutritional efficiency, that's what drew me to that. And of course, the fresh flavors of fresh fruits and fresh vegetables. Um, and it was a challenge, you know, from a culinary perspective is like, can I make a burger and a lasagna and noodles that still taste really good without cooking them? Mm-hmm. So part of it was the nutritional approach. Part of it was just the challenge in, in trying a new way of presenting and preparing food that I had never done before. Yeah, that that's really cool, and and I have fooled around with it a little bit. Never really had the desire to um, try any sort of serious cooking. I mean, I've gone to you know fancy raw food restaurants, and I'm amazed at what they can do. 
Uh, you mentioned the challenge, though. That has always seemed like a, a step too far with the challenge that I am willing to go uh, <laughs> in the kitchen, at least. Be- and that it kind of speaks to a larger problem that I personally have had as, as cooking as a as a at home cook. Um, and, and I'm curious about what you think. Cause I, I know I, I saw a YouTube video where you were talking about how to kind of combat boredom with with cooking, not necessarily with cooking plant based foods, but just in general. How do you how do you keep it exciting? And for me, unfortunately, I, I hate to say this, but it's the truth, so I do. Um, when I went vegetarian and then vegan, that's kind of when, if you can call it a passion, when when my passion for cooking started to fade. And, you know, I, not not at all did that mean I wasn't enthusiastic about this diet and lifestyle, because absolutely I am, and if I, was, if I wasn't, then I, I wouldn't be doing this. But that's kind of when my, like, you know, urge to at, at 3 p.m. to run out and get a bunch of ingredients and just make some awesome, amazing meal for dinner that day and just, just on a whim, that's kind of when that went away. And I started to move towards like a much, much simpler, uh, certainly healthier uh, way to eat. And, and it kind of became about practicality for me and just getting stuff on the meal, on the table for the family uh, that's going to be nutritious. But but first and foremost, isn't going to take us a long time or, or take much energy or effort. Um I mean, I guess you got into cooking kind of after you'd already become vegetarian vegan. So you probably didn't experience something like that, I'm guessing. No, I, I actually had the opposite experience. You know, for me, it was um, uh, there was always this question, you know, be, being a vegan in the 90s in Detroit was was a challenging experience because I didn't know any other vegans. I, I was really just kind of going through the, the, the dark path in the forest alone, if you will, <laughs> Um, because even in the 90s, there wasn't a ton of nutritional research or information about a vegan lifestyle or vegan diet. So it was like, okay, I'm just going to fly by the seat of my pants and figure this out. So for me, once I you know, got, got professional culinary training, it was actually very exciting because it opened up a whole new world of foods and ingredients I had never been exposed to before. So you know, if I look at my life pre-vegetarian, pre-vegan, and now going on almost 20 years – uh, you know the the kinds of foods, the exotic foods, the vegetables and fruits and superfoods I never even knew existed before this lifestyle. So, right. for me, the the only time I get tripped up, Matt, is um, you know when I'm when I'm busy doing a lot of YouTube videos, making a cookbook, I do reach a burnout point where I'm so busy preparing food for projects or other people that I just don't care about making food for myself <laughs> okay. anymore because right. I'm so burnt out on it professionally. And in those cases, I kind of like default to, you know, quinoa bowls, uh, you know, easy like chickpea omelets, smoothies, salads. I mean, so for me, people, I've had people remark like, what what do you you mean? You don't, you don't make like those crazy exotic meals for yourself every day. No. (laughs) Are you crazy? No. (laughs) Of course I'm too busy making food for other people. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's another thing I was going to ask you is like, how do you. You know, with with what you do, and, and I mean, it's clear that some of your stuff is is going to be not all that time consuming. Um, yeah. But but you know, like for, for me, it's, as I became busier, had kids, started this business, and just everything kind of took off. That's when my cooking really like just became simpler and simpler, just kind of out of necessity. Yeah. So that's what I was. You know, is that most of the time? Are you are you kind of I don't know looking at that? I guess more than someone would who's who's searching through a cookbook, um, trying to cook something fun. Yeah, absolutely. Because if I look at if I look at my life when I was kind of coming up as a chef and a nutrition educator, uh, you know, I had a lot more free time to experiment and make really long meals. You know, meals that would take hours and hours to make. But at this point, it's just simply not practical. I I I 
I don't choose to allocate my time during the day that way because I'm busy running, you know, a, a burgeoning media empire and doing podcasts and TV appearances and doing a book tour. And I don't, I don't have the luxury of spending two hours to prepare a meal right now in my life. I just sure. don't have it. Right. So if I can prepare something in, you know, 45 minutes tops, I'm good. So everything I'm personally focusing on and, and you know, most of the recipes in, in the new book are focused on that of like, there are, you know, a few complicated ones if you want to take a couple hours out of your life. But um, for the most part, they're 45 minutes and under and just like dive right in, make a quick, healthy meal and, and go for it. Yeah. So for someone who, d- who does want to get excited again, and, and yeah. you know, like someone like me, me, okay, so not even someone like me, me, <laughs> what, what, what do I need to do? Like where, so you mentioned that when you grew up, it was, there's just, or not grew up, when you became vegetarian and vegan, that there wasn't all that much, it just wasn't the, the scene that it is these days, right? So like there's lots of exposure now uh, to a bunch of cool, fun, exotic ingredients. Like where, where would you say to go if you are kind of bored with food? I mean, and, and kind of like want, you know, want to, want to be really into vegan cooking, um, but but just don't know where to where to go with it. So I mean I guess I guess I'm asking what are your favorite cookbooks or courses or whatever, um, or what's the name of your new book? <laughs> yeah, I've That's got a few suggestions. Um, uh, I think you know it, to challenge ourselves and kind of reignite the passion for for cooking again. You know there are two things I love to do. I love to go to the farmers market and look for some vegetables or ingredients I've never used before. You know so something like that uh, in this season might be like a kohlrabi or mulberries or something like, huh, what the heck could I do with that? And then I'll, I'll buy the ingredient, you know, not necessarily having all that much experience. And then I'll research, I'll look through cookbooks, I'll go on the internet, I'll look for maybe non-vegan recipes I can adapt or, or things that I can experiment with so that I'm increasing not only my culinary repertoire and my knowledge of how to use different foods, but it, it's more exciting for me to use something I've never done before. So definitely go and explore the, the local farmer's markets. We're the perfect season for that right now. And the other thing, too, if, is if you have like a spice store in your local area, um, there's a couple here in Los Angeles that I love to go in the same approach. I'll, I'll look at a spice and I'll be like, I've never seen that spice in my life. What mm-hmm. in the name of God can I do with that? I don't know. But I'm going to buy it and then I'm going to go home and research it and experiment and play. So I think introducing that aspect of curiosity and play and challenging ourselves to do things we've never done before, to me, that's a really great way to ignite the passion again. And, you know, beyond that, um, in terms of cookbooks or courses, I mean, I'm a huge fan of uh, anything Isa Chandra Moskowitz has ever done, huge fan of Thug Kitchen's books. They're good friends of mine. Um, Chris Carr's got amazing books out there. Uh, there's literally, you know, hundreds and hundreds of great vegan cookbooks now. It, it, there's a litany out there. And in terms of courses, I'm a big fan of the Ruby. It's R O U X B E. It's a Canadian company. They have a professional plant-based cooking course. Uh, it's a six-month online course, and it is even more thorough than when I went to culinary school 11 years ago. And it's probably one tenth of the price of what I paid for culinary school. So if people want to learn vegan wow. cooking. Yeah. Um, the Ruby Online Cooking School, again, R-O-U-X-B-E, people can Google that. It's an amazing plant-based chef program. Oh, that that is awesome. I'm, I'm oh, yeah. excited to hear that because like, that's one of my little, like when I, every time I make a little dreams list every year, it's like go to culinary, to culinary school in New York City or something. And like it's not really going to happen, I know, but I still write it down. Um, so you're saying that, that, that something like that is, is just as, uh, you know, as far because I'm not trying to cook in a restaurant. I mean, but like... As far as knowledge of cooking, that's that's just as good as, as culinary school, huh? 
Oh, I mean, even better in my experience. Wow. Uh, in, in terms of the in-depth of the knife skills and the preparation methods, um, learning how to make sauces and dressings from the ground up, it's, it's, it's very technique-oriented. And then once you learn those foundational techniques, then they really challenge you um, kind of on a nice graduated scale of simpler recipes to way more complicated recipes. And they touch on a, a variety of different ethnic cuisines. You learn how to make your own pasta from scratch. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really detailed. And uh, again, it's six months, and, and I recommend that to anybody who's like, oh, I want to go to vegan chef school, like, like you said, Matt, but I can't take you know, a half year to go to New York City or California or London. Right. Um, this is the perfect solution to that. Cool. That's really cool. And how do they, yeah. how do they I don't know, apply that sort of accountability of, of having an you know, exam and all that? So like, do they, is there anything like that, or is it just kind of self-guided you know? Keep up. Oh no, they they have they have exams. You you have to basically send in videos and photos of how you prepare recipes, huh. and wow. then those are graded. They have graded actual exams, written exams. So it's visual, it's written. Uh, it, the way that they set up their learning program actually is really really in depth. Hmm, that is very cool. I'm glad uh-huh. to have heard about that. Yeah, awesome. All right, speaking of cookbooks, do you have any on your shelf that are not vegetarian? vegan cookbooks like do you keep any that are just so good and then of course you're not cooking those same recipes but like that you like to adapt um and i mean do you, do you keep anything like that still um i have a few i i think the one that comes to mind that i really like is uh is eating the alkaline way mm-hmm. and i think that there's a few maybe egg-based recipes in there but for the most part it's vegetarian and vegan but again from a, from a, a culinary technique perspective and looking at how they construct recipes I just love that cookbook and how it's arranged and the nutritional information in there. But for the most part, I think that's probably the only non-vegan cookbook that I have. Um, you know, what I like to do, funny enough, is is I'll watch um, competition shows on Food Network and Cooking Channel, uh-huh. and I'll get inspiration from those guys because I'm a, I'm a big fan of improvisational cooking of, okay, if I don't have a recipe in front of me, and I only have a mix of ingredients, and I have no idea what I'm doing. What can I make in 30 to 45 minutes? And honestly, that's kind of what I do in my home kitchen. It's like, you know what? I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm just going to make it up as I go. And that's very exciting to me. So in terms of non-vegan shows, I still watch some of the competition shows just to see how their minds work and how these chefs create on the spot uh-huh. because that's very inspiring. And it's, it's, if anyone's n- never done that before, it is tough as hell to do that. Yeah, so like, how do you... How do you get good at that? Because I, I, I mean, for me, it's only been following recipes and I've, I've certainly improved as a cook and I've gotten a sense for just like what's going to work and what isn't going to work. But I'm guessing that's not the best way to, to improve it. Improvisational cooking is to keep following recipes. Uh, is there, do you have any techniques for, I mean, just kind of developing that skill or is it, is it kind of just doing it? It's, it's just doing it. I mean, I, I think starting off with formatted recipes you begin to see a structure. It's almost like playing music, right? There are only so many chords that we can choose from to construct a song. And how we arrange those chords in a song, we can choose however we want to create that structure. But the chords are always the same. With, with food, you start to notice that you know s- certain sauces, certain salad dressings, um, pie fillings, puddings, quiches, whatever it is, there, there's a formula. There's a basic structure. And once you learn the basic structure... If you just take out a bunch of random ingredients, you can kind of formulate in a, in a skeletal way. Like, okay, I know how to make a roux. I know how to make the filling for a quiche. I know how to make a salad dressing. And you just tweak it. you know. And you kind of just use your instinct and you taste as you go. That's another way. You always got to taste as you go. 
and you tweak it and tweak it and tweak it until you come up with something that's pretty good or amazing. Mm -hmm. So uh, eventually, I think you build the confidence and you build the knowledge to see how almost all recipes are structured. Because if you start flipping through enough cookbooks, you're like, you know what? They're basically all the same, really. Like, there are some cool recipes, maybe the way that they're plated or they're swapping out the spices or the ratios. But again, the structure and the blueprint of most recipes are essentially the same. And when you notice those patterns and you remember those patterns, then that gives you greater confidence to take those structures and improvise with them. Mm -hmm. And is that, do you learn that sort of thing in, in culinary school? Is that kind of what, it's, what a lot of it's about? You do because it's, it's, it's foundational and technique based. But, you know, culinary school is a good a foundation, as I mentioned. But once you jump out of there, it's up to you to really start experimenting and learning on your own to build on those foundational techniques. So, you know, I've been doing this 11 years now. And, um, it's funny because I actually started a new, a new YouTube series. It's going to be coming out this summer, and it's called The Vegan Vigilante. And what it is is me going into other people's kitchens with no equipment of my own, no <laughs> ingredients of my own, and having no idea what food or equipment or what their kitchen looks like, nothing, zero. I go in are like they, an Are they non-vegans kitchens? Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, actually, that's actually one of the requirements to get cast in the series. You can't be vegan. You can't be vegetarian. You can't eat organic. None of it. Like, <laughs> okay. I'm going into regular standard American kitchens and doing my best to make healthy plant-based vegan meals out of only what they have on hand. Huh. So wow. we've, done, we've done two episodes so far. The first season is going to be six episodes. Again, it's going to come up probably in July. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's tough, man. Like to go into a kitchen and you have no idea what's in there. <laughs> right. It's hard. It's not easy, but, but I wanted to do it because I wanted to challenge myself in yeah. a new way. That's really cool. Um, all right. So let's, let's talk about your new book, Eternity, uh, leafing through it. I mean, it's, it's organized in a totally unexpected way for me. It's, it's kind of all about how do you eat for certain uh, I guess, I don't know, health benefits. And mm -hmm. the, so each, each, I mean, for example, there's eat for better sex is the first one. Then eat for good sleep, eat for weight loss, eat for happiness and good moods. And this goes on for, you know, 14 chapters. Mm -hmm. um, and in each one, there, there are several pages of, of really good, just background information about how this diet and, and the way of eating that you're presenting uh, helps with these different these diff in these different areas, and then recipes that are that are designed according to that. So, what where where did the inspiration to do it like that come from? I'm sure the publisher loved that idea. <laughs> yeah, oh, that, that that's actually what gravitated them most, you know, toward the book concept was you know uh, first of all creating a hybrid book where it's it's a lifestyle driven book, but it's also a cookbook in one, which is why it's you know almost 400 pages, yeah. and. Um, and you know, I wanted it to be kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure of ultimate health that if you wanted to read it front to back, it would be awesome. You'd get a ton of great information in, in those nearly 400 pages. But if you wanted to flip to a specific chapter for uh, a, an aspect of your life that you're trying to improve, you could just go to that chapter, um, read about the research studies, read about the scientific nutritional principles, but then look at you know, the nutrients the foods that contain those nutrients, and then the recipes that contain those foods. So I, I broke it down, I feel, in a very logical and structured way because I wanted this to be a great introduction to showing people how healing, how supportive, how nutritious the vegan lifestyle can be for multiple aspects of one's life. Uh-huh. That, that's really cool. How does that jive with, with the – I mean because I think the idea, um, you know, as we get more and more away from reductionism is the idea that um, – 
I don't know, you know, that, that, that it's, first of all, that we don't want to take vitamin C or vitamin A or whatever from supplements. We want to get them from whole foods, of course. Um, how, how do you handle, I mean, what do you think about when, if someone says, well, I need to sleep better, so I'm going to eat, focus on these nutrients. Do you think that's a, a legitimate approach or, or is it more kind of a, um, you know, like a fun way to do these things? Because I'm, I'm guessing if someone switches to a whole food vegan diet, I mean, they're going to start probably sleeping better if they're having sleeping problems and they eat completely different, even if they're not thinking about these things. So do you think, is that, is that kind of just a fun thing? Or do you think there's really like, that's really a, a kind of a prescription for like, if you're not sleeping well, go to the sleeping section and start, start with those foods. Well, you know, first of all, not being a medical doctor, I'm, I'm leery of using the word prescriptive at all. <laughs> yeah, uh, very careful. But, uh, <laughs> but I do think that from a, from a sheer scientific perspective, it's irrefutable that if we look at different uh, nutrients and vitamins and minerals, we know through clinical research they have specific physical effects on the human body. Now, those effects are going to differ from body to body. Okay, so, so one approach cannot necessarily have the same acute effects with one person as it would be with another. And I'm a perfect example. I'll give you a quick example of that. Um, I had my blood panels, full blood panels, neurotransmitter testing, uh, genetic testing done um, about two years ago. And what I learned is that genetically, my body is really, really bad at processing and assimilating folate from foods. I never knew that. How, how the hell would I ever know that without going and getting tested, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I actually have to be for now, on a folate supplement. And I may have to be on a folate supplement the rest of my life because genetically, for whatever reason, I, I think we theoretically, certain uh, Latin heritages, because I'm, I'm Puerto Rican from my dad's side, I've read up on this, um, actually have trouble processing folate from food. So genetically, since I have trouble with folate, I have to take a supplement, right? So to, to have a blanket approach saying, you can get all the nutrients you need from food, to me, that's a bit disingenuous and that's a bit not taking into account the genetic variations from person to person. Do I believe that a nutrient-dense, organic, whole food, plant-based diet can give you a ton of essential nutrients that are, are going to you know, probably make you feel better? Absolutely. But there may be certain holes or certain gaps in the individual constitution or genetic makeup that need to be addressed in a different way. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I do feel that conscious supplementation can be very, very beneficial for certain people. Gotcha, gotcha. So, all right. So, um, looking at at some of the recipes, I'm just curious about some of the some of the uh, common, I guess, indulgence foods that people like. Um, <laughs> just just kind of wondering what what is your stance on oil? Of course, that's that's what big hot button thing in the vegan community, specifically the whole food community. Um, yeah. Let's start there. What what do you what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so um, I have a whole giant section in my book called "Is Is Oil Free the Only Way to Go." And I address, you know, my, my perspective on this, which I think that, you know, high-risk individuals or people that are, are potentially at risk for heart disease or history of heart disease, any kind of things like that, an oil-free, whole food, plant-based diet, amazing. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, for me in particular, with my metabolism and the way that my body functions uh, most optimally that I've noticed, especially in doing a really intense weight training and fitness routine, higher fat for me. Like higher fat, higher protein, my body functions way better. I, if I do a low-fat, oil-free diet, I feel not so great. Hmm. So for me, I recommend it. It really, again, it, as a blanket approach to saying this is the optimal way for everyone, there's a danger in that. Mm -hmm. And there's a danger because I think that you know th there's a qualitative perspective. I, I honestly feel that 
if we look at people optimizing their omega fatty acids, their threes, their sixes, and their nines, if you look at, you know, say a raw cold-pressed virgin hemp seed oil or a flax oil or a coconut oil, in moderation, I personally feel those things can be very healthy for people that are non-high-risk individuals. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think from a culinary perspective, I've done a lot of cooking where I've done water sautéing, I've done vegetable broth sautéing, and it's fine, um, but for my palate, I don't find that there's enough depth of flavor as opposed to using you know, a teaspoon or a tablespoon of a high-quality oil. Um, I just feel the flavor is better if we're talking strictly from a culinary perspective. Sure, sure. All right, and then what about alcohol? Heart-healthy red wine. <laughs> you know, uh, I indulge from time to time. I might have red wine like uh, five times a year max. It's a very, very sparing thing for me. Uh-huh. Um, but if, if we're talking about antioxidants and resveratrol, all these things that, that they say are these benefits of red wine, you can easily get those from you know, uh, grape skins and grapes. You can <laughs> yes. get those from, from pomegranates and acai and dark berries. So I don't think red wine is a necessity. It's more of an indulgence with some health benefits. But, you know, long-term for the liver, we know alcohol is not great. It's very dehydrating. Um, so, again, I, I drink it, but very sparingly. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I, maybe I'm not quite as sparing as I'd like to be, but, um, <laughs> but I, do, I do at least admit that it's not, uh, it's not for the health benefits. When I said heart-healthy red, red wine, I was, of course, being facetious. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the resveratrol, like, if you're going to, I do believe if you're going to drink red, red wine, seems to be the one where the resveratrol, you know, in some way challenges cells and kind of, in, I don't want to say reverses, but prevents some of the uh, negative effects of, of alcohol consumption. So anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there, but um, happy to get your take on it. Happy to hear that you are not a complete and utter teetotaler. About it. <laughs> well, and you know, the thing is to the advantage, Matt, is, is uh, I have a very low tolerance uh-huh. So literally, if I have a glass, I'm done. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm good. I'm totally good. So that's <laughs> too, having a low tolerance. Right. Nice. All right. So the book, I mean, it's a beautiful book. I have only a PDF copy, but I see that it is, whatever, 386 PDF pages or something. So I would imagine it is gigantic in person. It um, is. But it's beautiful. It's I mean, it's, it's a really, really nicely done book. I think uh, I'm sure you're very, very proud of it. The food looks, I, vibrant is the word that comes to mind. I've heard you use that to describe the way you um, like to eat and the lifestyle that you that you want to live, and and I think that's that's the impression that it gives looking through it. So uh, I'm I'm really excited to try some of these recipes, and uh, I think this is a really a really cool way of of presenting them that I haven't seen done before. Awesome! I appreciate your enthusiasm, and and I think people have been reacting really well to it in the sense of how different it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm already kind of you know getting ideas for the second book based on what people are saying. So. Um, nice. After I take a nice break from this, because I do need a break, uh, I think I'll get started on, on book two sometime soon. Cool. Good. So this book came out somewhat earlier this year. Is that correct? Like fairly recently? Uh, April 5th. Yeah. Okay. And you are currently touring for it? I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, going to be in Toronto uh, June 16th through the 18th. I'm doing an appearance at uh, Marnie Wasserman's Food Studio doing a class on eating for better sex and then appearing at the Remedy Food Conference uh, with pretty much every amazing vegan MD on the planet. Caldwell Asselstein's <laughs> going to be there, T. Colin Campbell, Michael Greger. Uh, it, it's a really amazing lineup, and I'm going to be doing a, a, a class on uh, healthy late-night munchies, on how to do you know, oil-free, super healthy late-night munchies when you get that snack attack. Nice. Um, and then heading to, it looks like I'm going to be in, uh, well, yeah, Northern California in July. Looks like New York City in August. 
um, Anaheim for the Longevity Now conference in September, and then um, uh, November in Miami. Cool. All right. Uh, I will also be in Toronto speaking about goals and all that kind of good stuff. So I'm really looking forward to meeting you there in person. Um, And we've got several nomi-nothing running groups in some of the cities you mentioned. So I will make sure to let them know uh, that you'll be there and to come out and see you. Awesome. That'd be great. All right. Um, Well, and where should people go to get the book or check it out? Where's the best place um, to find it? Yeah, so you can um, you can go to uh, my website. It's uh, jasonrobell.com slash eternity. That's E-A-T-E-R-N-I-T-Y. Um, there are links there for Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, Books A Million. Um, and people can get it in the U.S., of course, uh, Canada. We're doing great in Canada right now. It's on sale in the U.K., uh, Australia, China, and India right now. Awesome. All right. Well, Jason, this is fun. This has been fun. I am inspired. I'm going to check out Ru- Ruby. <laughs> Um, with the clever pun in the name there. I like that. Uh, but thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. This has been, has been good. Um, it's always, always a pleasure when, when I leave these interviews feeling inspired to change my own life, and I'm sure that, that others are as well. So thank you for your time. Thank you for making a book like this, and I look forward to meeting you in person. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Matt. I'll see you in Toronto. All right. Talk to you soon. <laughs>